Welcome to the War Podcast. Hello and welcome to the War Podcast. Um, today we are going to speak to Sadiqa Fahimi and I'm going to jump right in and ask you to tell us about yourself, a little bit about your family and your background. Hi, um, thank you for having me. So um, my name is Sadiqa Fahimi. I, um, I grew up in Bamiyan province, Afghanistan, in a small village. I am the oldest uh, and uh, siblings of the eldest of uh, six of siblings um so we have a good you know, a big family um i grew up in bamiyan a small village and graduated from my bachelor degree completed my bachelor degree in bamiyan university bamiyan university and um came to move to kabul uh in the Worked a little bit there with the government, of course, the uh, Minister of Commerce and Industry, and um, received then a scholarship to do my master's degree here in the United States um, to Fulbright. And after completion, I went to Afghanistan to work there, and I worked with IRC, International Rescue Committee, which provided a good opportunity to travel around the country. I traveled to Badris, to Herat, um, to Logar, this where that I've never been. And it was it was amazing to see, to talk with women in the villages. I grew up as a you know, village person. I knew that how it looked like there, but it's it's different from one province to another province. And it was it was really, uh, I really enjoyed one year working there. Um, but I got evacuated from Afghanistan on uh, August 2021, and now I'm based in um, D.C., Washington, D.C. Okay, it was it was really really nice to meet you. Um, I'm I'm actually going to go backwards a little bit. You said you were born in Bamyan, and I think you you were saying um, earlier that you also went to high school outside of Bamyan in Jiaozhuan, and probably even then you noticed a difference from where you were raised to somewhere else. Um, can you tell us more about, you know, what it really felt like to kind of go from what you knew to another part of Afghanistan and if it really impacted you? Yeah, I mean, you know, coming from Bamiyan, where it is like central and going all the way to, um, you know, Shibargan in um, north, it was it was really different. It was the first time I was in a city. From the village I came, uh, it was only seven households, so it was very small. And going to a big city like Shabargan, there is curve like where people are different. You like you know, go see restaurants stuff. So it was um, it was different. The accent was very different. Um, that I speak Hazari, I spoke Hazari at that time, and I didn't know any other accent. It was really even like that time, I faced some challenges communicating with people because they couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand Uzbeki or um, their you know, Persian or Dari accent. So it was a little bit difficult, but it was uh, it was interesting. I, I spent only one year and I've completed my 12th grade there and went back to Bamiyan. So, but it was, um, the people were different. It's uh, The food was very different. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that year, but it was... Uh, it was kind of difficult to, to see that how, like, coming from a small village, big city, and seeing that, oh, my gosh, everything is so, like, you know, for very 
um, simple question and simple thing is that we didn't in the village we didn't have electricity we didn't have a tv anything then the first time going to see there like white people moving in this like screen and it is really yeah exciting and something that we can learn all the time wow so you see i've had the the reverse experience where it's a very remote village life was something new for me to see and um i'm sure we'll we would both agree that there's elements of really immense like beauty in both one in being around a lot of different people and learning from them um what's something that you kind of I wouldn't say miss but that you really appreciate about the the smaller village um experience that you had as a child maybe a memory that you have that kind of just wouldn't happen somewhere else yeah I mean you know I um so when I grew up under the Taliban, a previous Taliban regime, and there was no school in our village anything. So, but I because my mom could read and write, so she taught me, and I really missed going to the mountain with my herd, all these animals, in and like just leave them and lay down on the rock and reading my book. That is something that is like nobody would disturb you, nobody would like. I love that peace. I love, you know, I miss that peace. I miss that being so free that, you know, I, you could look, look from like from top of the mountain, wherever you could just look and there was like free land and like the sky was blue and nothing. And you were in with your animals. That's the only thing that you could see. I miss that. Um, but the thing that I appreciate about the small villages that how much peoples are connected to each other and how much they are, you know, that's something that nowadays I see here in Washington, D.C. and I really don't like is that how in the village we were like helping each other. So if like we needed something, we just ran to our neighbor and ask, they would like put us in first than themselves. So if like they would share their food, they would share their anything they had it. So in, in like in, in a small village like mine, we had whenever there was a guest and another family didn't have any food, they would run and the neighbor was like, Okay, here we have something, let's just go and like you know, pass tonight. So that's something being in big city like Washington DC now I really miss like that sense of community in the villages. Yeah, yeah. I think um it looks like your work that you carried on afterwards also really was about supporting and uplifting and just being there for each other. I think it looks like your work definitely carried out your appreciation for that community. Uh, but can you tell us um, about the work that you started with the working with girls, I believe? Yes, yes. So, you know, I, um, so the background in in our culture, you can say that, um, you know, prove that we, have you know it's it's not something I'm proud of it I'm I'm you know we have a great culture but we do have great and some part of our culture is not great is not like you know it's not aligned with the humanity or the women's rights and stuff so growing up in the village I saw and experienced a lot of domestic violence against women and it was always I was like why is that I was wondering that why we women are suffering more than the men so I could see that like one of the big reason was that our dependency on men, like economically specifically, you know, all the time ask for money. I wait for like they bring food stuff. So when I um 
I was in Kabul in 2016 after work. I was attending a startup um, uh, program and out of, I believe it was 20 to 25 people, I was the only woman in the room. And I was wondering why is that after, you know, talking with people and because of the, the fee was high, the, the women mostly cannot afford that. And because of the transportation challenge and because of the, the main reason was that a lot of the families wouldn't allow their children, women after dark because it was after work. And you know, the war was there and all the time there was attacks. And like it is like being a woman in a car and, and there is an, a bomb attack happened. It will be very difficult for families to handle that. So there are a lot of families wouldn't allow their um, women to go to um, these classes. So. And having that feeling that I want women to be independent economically, to support them, to have their own money, and seeing that, oh, they, even they cannot take the first step to go to class and learn that, how to start their businesses. So I started this group with uh, my friend, Shigufa, um, in Inspiring Girls Organization. It was a group first, an Inspiring Girls group. We started like very voluntarily giving uh, some trainings, how to start business, how to manage your finance, how to hire staff. Um, after that, we you know, registered the program, the group later on as an organization to be able to get funds and to be able to like work formally. Amazing. Okay, so you're doing this and you're realizing that um, economics is one of the, the blocks for women to have that, um, to gain those rights or to even start, that's the first step. And you talked about how sometimes women couldn't even get to that first step because of these explosions. So yeah. security, security, how, how did that affect your, your, your process and your journey to making this happen? So, I mean, the one of, and it was difficult for me personally, I, I'm so lucky that I had a, I have a very supportive mom. She is like, you know, she even at night would come and wait in the street for me to so I'd be able to get home safely. Or like she would like make excuse for my mom or for my dad and like, oh she is somewhere, she's coming, she's coming. So it was because of that I had, you know, I could go, you know, I couldn't like like ignore the security a lot of time just because you know because I couldn't stop that. I couldn't control that factor, but I could control of like pushing forward until I could. Um, you know, but for for the women, for my target audience or for my um, beneficiaries, we start having the programs at the weekends. So we like we would do it in the middle of the day during the weekends and provide, uh, you know, be like very flexible what time of the day work for most of the women so they'd be able to come like in the morning not early in the morning because they need they have a lot of chores to do not in the evening because they have a lot of chores and they have it was hard to come so we would do it where it's the best time for all of them and the other thing we really can see that it was like where is the public transportation is very close to that neighborhood so they'd be able to get those um buses and we did also provide them like in a transportation fund and stuff. So that was the main thing that you no, know, these women without worrying that oh they need to have some money from their mom, dad, or brothers or husband to be able to come. Um, but we you know, we also at the same time because a lot of starting a business is not easy. 
It's not, you need the seed funding. And a lot of time, if you're a man, your dad will trust you and give the money and say that, oh, this is my land. This is, you can go get like money from the bank. But if you're a woman, nobody. It's, you don't have a, in a property for your name. You, you know, the family do not trust you much. And also, at the same time, the bank doesn't give you money either because you don't have any in a property to put that for in a grantee. So we uh, we got like funding from these international communities to be able to give them seed funding. So these women would come and complete the training, and at the end we would give them some money to be able to start first to show that yes, their idea is an idea that can you know, create some profit and they be they will be able to make money so that they can build that trust of from the community and their mom and dad or families all other community members so to be able to make and uh, you know, get some support. So in order to kind of gain the trust that they needed to participate, you really had to create um, a, uh, the surroundings for them to be relatively safe and sort of show the family that something will um, come of this. Um, that's that's something, I mean, I noticed in in my experience working with with families is that a lot of times they really just needed to know that their loved one was going to be secure how do you feel about that you feel like because i think we really are um often under the impression that it's just the families don't want girls to have any happiness or joy or success and that's the end of the story but no girls would be participating in your program if that was the case so do you feel like it was an equal uh, balance of um hardships on that are placed specifically on women um, or maybe equal or even more that it wasn't as secure and they wanted the security to be in place? I mean, you know, I think the families, you know, they always want the best thing for their loved ones, if it's a man as a woman. Um, but because of the society, it's hard to trust. It's really, you know, for the families, specifically from a mom's side, if you see the mom will agree that I would say that you stay home, do anything instead of like something happened to you. I can't, I can't uh, tolerate that. So I would say that I would, all the family wanted their children to be happy to do that, um, but to trust that, to have that in an infrastructure to be able to send them. I, w- I think that there was balance, um, but we would do a lot of things to be cautious to not create any confusion for their families. So most of like the volunteers I had it to work with these women were women. So the women would call them because a lot some of these girls wouldn't have their own phone number. So they would call their dad or their brother. And if there was a girl in back the other side of the phone, this family, okay, this is a group of women. They are just, you know, trust us. So that would be something like we would do that a lot of time. And the other thing is that we would like, because of childcare, because of like church and those things, we wouldn't take it so hard on women if they didn't show up like a few days and we will like give them time and give them like extra materials to be able to study at home so they be able to still work around it. So yeah. Right. So you were made flexible for them. Do you, do you have, uh, I'm sure you have many, but do you have maybe a story of one of the changes you saw from your efforts to these girls that you're really proud of? Um, is there a story of one or two of the girls? I mean, there are a lot of histories. Um, you know, my philosophy is always that is, is that 
if I be able to change one, you know, like to one woman, change one woman's situation, that woman will change a family and a family will change the whole society because that happened to me and that happened to a lot of my um, family members. Um, but I had a woman, um, her name was Aziza. She was um, very, you know, interesting uh, woman and she always very active. Um, sometimes you see energy in people and you feel like, wow, there is so much energy. There is nothing for her to like do with that energy. So she was very energetic, but she had like a lot of challenges from family side and because their family was uh, migrating to Iran and going to Turkey. And she didn't have any op uh, options. She was like, I'm going giving up on this idea. I have it. She wanted to start this dance class, a dance center, so to everybody be able to uh, um, come and she teach that. But because we provided her some set funding and because because of like we didn't, the other thing, because of like I understand myself and my friend, we wouldn't make the seed funding so strict. They could use it for their housing. They could use it for their accommodation. Because of that, this woman was able to or not leave the country with her family to Iran to be able to stay with that funding because she was like, okay, at least for a few months, I'm secure, I have money. So she used that state funding for her recommendation at the same time, start her dance classes. So that was, you know, it was very, it was very happy to see her. She stayed there and she worked on that. But um, I love that. So she stayed in, in Afghanistan, choosing not to leave doing her own business because, you know, the opportunity that you and others were able to give her. Was she able to start the dance class? Yeah, she, I mean, she did it. I mean, never attended. I'm, I'm such a bad I dancer. <laughs> um, but she did it. But, then, you know, I think uh, I just, uh, in 2018, I came to United States to study my um, master's degree. Um, my co-founder, my co she was working with most of them. So they, these beneficiary, most of them were very active until like 2021. But since then, most of them lost what they built. Yeah. Are you in touch with them now? Any of them? I am. I am with some of them, but not all of them. A lot of time, like most of them, we were connected through social media. And, yeah. And again, a lot of people you know, deactivated their social media, so it's hard. I know, you know, and I don't want to go into, you know, anything super dark about post August 15th or anything like that. But, you know, you put a lot of effort into making that kind of thing happen. And for a lot of those women, they're not able to continue it. You know, yeah. How does I mean, I know that how that must make you feel. But really, like, how do you how do you feel about having done that work? Are there do you feel like well, it was a big waste of time? I shouldn't have even bothered. How do you feel in retrospect? No, I don't think it's a waste of time. I mean, you know, I believe that every single program there was for women in Afghanistan in the past 20 years, it was not a waste of time. I wish they all of these managed better. I wish, you know, we did a better outcome, but I do, I believe that every single thing, even like the, you know, we trained over 500 um, women in, in through our programs. I'm sure like out of that 500, like, 150 families change their perspective about women, how, what their girls can do, what's like, what should this freedom should look like. And I, I, I believe even like if I change one situation for one girl, 
that's enough for me for like five years I worked for that it's not waste of time because you know I I experienced that that like how a man looked to you or your mom dad brother or uncle when you you have the power you are the one is like making your money and like you say I really don't need your support sorry I have it (laughs) I can do it and that is it's beautiful because you experience the power and I'm sure many, many women uh, did that. And I'm, I'm always wishing them luck and seeing that wherever they are, I'm sure because of these trainings, some of their situation changed. So like what I'm even hearing just from this is really the impact on they had, it had on them as human beings. And sometimes it's not about the business, literally a building and you have, day-to-day a job it's more about the impact it's had on you as a human being on your family and then essentially as a society so um you know with everything being enforced the opposite way now in Afghanistan I mean what do you what do you think are our chances or what do you wish you could you could really say on behalf of Afghanistan um or let's say to Afghans themselves like what what's something you wish you could say to all of them about what what we need for that, um, for that, for our country to be in a better place. Yeah, I mean, to just add a comment to your earlier um, uh, you know, um, reaction, I would say that you know the the economic impact of these works was there too because of that. You know, the job market in Afghanistan around 2016 2020 was not great. You know, so many people like lost their jobs and like at least supporting one to, to hire one person to your business. For example, there was a woman who started um, in a packaging, a dry fruit packaging, and she hired this man who was l- looking for a job and they didn't have anything. And support that man to have a bread at home the last next day, that's beautiful, that's amazing. So there were like, a, 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 from any side of the impact, if economic or it is like the whole culture, society, and the like, you know, ultimately to women's rights impact to see that women's are, yeah, they can do anything they, they their minds on. So um, that the to the other questions, I mean, one of the things traveling around the country, talking with this diverse group of people from different ethnicity, one thing I think it's uh, I would say to all my fellow out there, seeing that accept the past. A lot of time we Afghans do not accept the past. We just, you know, try to ignore. No, it's not happened like this. No, the the past is the past, and we accept that and learn from that. A lot of time the history is repeating itself, and we are just right there and not learning at all anything. Um, you know, to I, I, every time Taliban comes there and or that at other group, and we are we are the one is losing everything. So I would say, just you know. And also, one thing is that, just just as a woman, I would say to men and women out there saying that to um, challenge the norm and the culture that is against humanity. We don't need to take all our norms and culture dragging with us all the way, like, for many, many years. Those are, like, against what we, you know, what humanity should look like, or the women's right, or the animal's right, and any type of, like, people out there. We should challenge that. We should stand against that, and you know, we should change it. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be proud of 500 years of culture so much. So it's not, yeah. 
or 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 look at the culture yeah. and see what we need to change in order to stop those repeated cycles. Like you said, it's that's exactly how I I mean I agree with you. It's it's a lot of putting our head in the sand and saying, let's see how it goes again the next time and the next time. And we're we're obviously repeating a lot of things. Um I, you know, this is something called the war podcast. And, and as I was saying to you before we started, you know, war is, has been the backdrop of your life, even if you spent, you know, a week in Afghanistan in the last, uh, you know, how many years, 40 years, if you spent any time there, there was the, the element of that. Uh, do you feel really like different being outside of Afghanistan with that gone from your um, you know, I know that the Taliban return is what everyone's focused on, but all before that, when you were doing such an, an intense work and, and going to travel and, um, you know, you don't have that now, what are your thoughts looking back on the amount of pressure that the security and the violence of the war had on you? I mean, yes, and as you said, you know, we, every single Afghans, you know, you know in the past 20 years, we were experiencing war every day. Every day, we would get out of the house and saying that, will I come home alive tonight? That was, you know, that was the mentality. We had it. That's why we were like, okay, we have just today. Let's work hard today. And that's all. Like, who knows? Because my my family, like my mom is always like, every morning she would like read some Quran and she's like, I hope that tonight, see you tonight. So that was the mentality. Everyone had it. Like, you know, having to not have the freedom to go to province to like be so worried. I I traveled to Nangarhar uh, one time and I was in the whole time to go to all the way there. I was so scared and having that fear, having that like, oh my gosh, what has gonna happen? That is you know this war and that is such a such a intense feeling. I mean, we made it, we went through it, and we we were living with it. I think we were adjusting to it, accepting it as that is the reality um right now i feel like sometimes <laughs> and sometimes even i get jealous of like so many people around the world don't have this situation and we poor afghan had that and it was so it was so hard and like sometimes i feel like how strong we are in like generally the whole afghan people we how strong we are like we went through that and we still worked and we still competed in the international you know level with a lot of stuff like for scholarship for the uh, sports for this you know creating movies and you know, songs art all the things and like we had those intense uh, war feelings as well um but now i mean you know it's my mind is always in afghanistan my feelings all so it's even though i am here I don't see every day that don't, I mean, even here in the state, when I'm sitting and there is a huge noise, it's like it's a car or something. I go, oh, there's a bomb. I, I mean, I still have that. I still couldn't, you know, forget the whole thing yet. But I'm still in Afghanistan, my feeling, my mind. So it's not, I'm not still relaxed, relaxed. So, yeah. I completely relate to that. Do you do you feel like sometimes it's even those noises or the sudden things are something you wouldn't notice in Afghanistan, but here you notice it? Because I think in Afghanistan, like you said, it's just part of our everyday. It's part of every day when you are just existing. And then there's some things that we get, we're very logical, 
you know, when we're traveling to a province, I was the same way on the road there. I'm I'm very tense because I know about, you know, increased chance of something happening. And some, for some reason, when I arrived to the city of the destination, I'm like, oh, I can relax now. Even though that's not logical because it's, it's actually quite dangerous in the city as well or the destination as well. But um, I, I, I've had that experience where when I leave Afghanistan, now thunder is making me jump. But over there, I was, I was quite all right. It's, um, I get jealous, too. I really liked the way you said that. It's, it, it's not something that we want to always be we don't want to wave a flag that says we're so strong we want to just have this normalcy that I think everyone else has and um the potential that I see in people like you um you could really change the entire world with the with the mindset of of that freedom that you want for every single human and how it expands out to happier and more fulfilled lives for their family and then for their community and then for their country and that's really just um something that I hope we see more of and um I think you know you lived through the first Taliban experience and I think a lot of people are worried now that in the second round all the hope will be gone everything will be you know we start from zero. How do you feel about that? Let's say, let's say the Taliban was over in in one year. What would what do you think is the potential of the of the population after that? I think there's huge potential. You know, it's we um, the the good thing. Like I mean, last time under the Taliban regime, I was in in our village, there was no Talib, but we knew that there are outside of this uh, Bardash, there are Talibs. Um, you know, the, the generation is different this time. I think the young generation, they are the one, they tested the freedom. They tested this, having this freedom of speech, this, all this freedom of like wearing, like, I mean, women didn't have so much, you know, freedom of like what to wear, but still there was something I like then that one right now we have it. I think there's a huge potential if like one year, even like 10 years, the Taliban is gone, the, the generation will come out and it'll like, like flowers, they will just all bloom. So. I love that. And, you know, you're a perfect example of the reality of that because you were so young when that first round was happening. You didn't even know what that quote unquote freedom um, yep. power tastes like, but you not only got it for yourself, you were able to pay it forward and extend it to other communities and other people as well, to, to your whole country. Um, I'm, I'm just, it was really a pleasure to, to learn your story. I don't know if you have um, some other thoughts you'd like to share, but um, I've learned a lot in speaking to you and I'm so, so happy that we got a chance to talk to what you, you are who I call our everyday heroes. I mean, it's not something small you did. I think you, you would be on the, there could be books about you and articles about you and it would be justified. But at the same time, that's because that wasn't your purpose. You were just doing what you were doing. And I, and I think that we have a lot to learn from people who do it for that purpose, um, just to just to support their communities. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And the last word, I, if I would say is that to those listeners who are out there, like non-Afghans, is that we have such a diverse country in Afghanistan. Our country, Afghanistan, is such a diverse, and we have different type of people. So I would say that 
anyone who try to understand Afghanistan or want to you know, be part of somehow involved with the Afghans and Afghan community um, to understand our diversity. That is the main thing, because I see a lot of time here in the state everywhere is that they put all of us in one bucket and it's like saying that Afghans does nothing else is like, but no, we are different. So that's the last thing I would say. Oh, I think that's wonderful because, I, you know, when we're asked, how do Afghans feel about? And then we can't answer for all of the, the country. Um, we're yeah. not a monolith. I don't think any country is. And I appreciate that you reminded people that we, we shouldn't be looked at that way either. Um, thank you so much again for speaking to us. Thank you so much. I look forward to, um, you know, the triumphant return of your program and coming to, I'm going to take that dance class <laughs> for sure. I'm working for that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much.